Hi, welcome to the Romance Me Podcast. This is Erica. And I'm Em. And we'd like to say a special hello to our number one and only fan, Praise Beach Murphy. Damn it. I I don't know that Murphy. <laughs> well, it's sort of meant to be a sarcastic. <laughs> I actually didn't say it sarcastically. I don't know why. <laughs> no, you really did. You sounded sort of sincere. It was like, oh, okay, How weird. <laughs> I never get it right. Anarchism it is. I'm sincere and I sound snarky and snarky. Yeah, I never, it never comes out right. Oh, dude. All right. <laughs> Today, we'll be discussing One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. While trying to distance herself from her mother's pursuit of her missing uncle, August Landry moves to New York City to pursue higher education and higher rent. While boarding the subway, she meets the leather jacket-wearing cool girl Jane Sue, who saves her from coffee shirt humiliation by giving her a red scarf. August soon realizes there's more to the mysterious Jane than she first suspected, and she is forced to admit she wants to investigate Jane's past in order to save her dream girl. There will be spoilers beyond this point, and we have a content warning for homophobia. I'm so proud of yay. you. You didn't yay. Or is that usually only after abuse? No, it's usually only after abuse, but I kind of yayed. <laughs> I, I rescind my my proud. <laughs> your your pride was was too early. Aww. Oh well. <laughs> it's never yay. Praise be it's, to Murphy. It's a defense mechanism. <laughs> it's a defense mechanism. I can't help it. It feels incomplete now if I don't yay. Like I don't know. Just gotta take that box. <laughs> I got a yay. I, it, it's like, I, I don't know. But yeah, no, homophobia <laughs> is, is crappy and horrible. Yes, it I is. don't feel it's actually yay. No, I'm laughing and can't stop. This is not going well. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so how about you explain poor August's rent situation? Because that, that's what we start off with. Yeah. That's true. August is looking for a room to rent. She's recently relocated to Brooklyn, New York City. Skyscrapers and everything. New York. I don't know. She's kind of trying to find a place where she feels settled. She's escaped from her her mom who who lives in New Orleans and she's pursued degrees or parts of degrees in multiple states. She's changed majors several times. <laughs> And uh, now she's in New York and she's like, well, maybe this will be the place I can be because she likes the idea of anonymity due to so many people. She's interviewing to rent this room from, I guess, like a group of people. Um, they live in a three bedroom apartment and two of the people are a couple. And so they're going to move into one room and then they're going to rent the empty room to potentially August. And this interview is very strange because immediately Nico, who's the one conducting it, says, can I touch you? <laughs> <laughs> and August is like, um, okay. Because Nico's psychic, which August doesn't initially believe. But over the course of the story... You get the impression that Nico actually is psychic? Yes, because in August's life leading up to that, she's had to deal with a lot of not real deal psychics as her mother has pursued her missing uncle. Yes. So she's very, very cynical. And that's part of the reason she doesn't want to be like around her mom anymore. Because she, I don't know, I struggled with this mom relationship. I did not like the mom. Yeah, I struggled as well. There was a memory that August has at some point in the story where, you know, they're living in New Orleans and the horrible hurricane flooding situation happened and the mom rescued one box of stuff pertaining to the missing uncle and no stuff pertaining to her own daughter. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just... That was hard for me to understand, but yeah. No, like, why have a daughter if you're gonna not pay attention to her and not prioritize her? I don't understand. Why? I, I have a snarky response. I don't know if you'll like it. <laughs> Go ahead. Sometimes people want a buddy. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I think that's probably she wanted a partner in crime. It's the someone will love me kind of thing. I need somebody to love me. I'll make someone who loves me. And then she trained August to be like this super PI sort of person. Yes. Like almost like Sherlock Holmesian. Yeah. <laughs> level. She's of, got skills now. You know, attention to detail. <laughs> Whether or not she wanted them, she's got them. Yeah. And she's trying to escape all that. Yes. So anyway, Nico touches her and then he's all, okay, yeah, you're in. I'll buy some lilies for you because <laughs> you like those. And August is like, how the fuck? Like, I hate when people do that. <laughs> Because she thinks, oh, it's just like a lucky guess or whatever. Because she does. She likes lilies. <laughs> like, well, he's not wrong. How did he know that? <laughs> so she moves in. She has five boxes to her name. She's a uber minimalist at this point because her mom is kind of a hoarder with collecting all her investigative materials i guess i don't know like that was the impression i got like stacks of newspapers clipping and who knows what she meets the roommates or two of the roommates so she meets nico of course and then myla who is nico's girlfriend myla is very interesting um she is an artist but she has a degree in like electrical engineering or something and she is the type of person that inserts herself into someone's life is like yes i'm your friend now <laughs> sucks to be you if you don't like that because i'm your friend now he <laughs> he it's kind of like something august needs yes <laughs> i think because august is very alone and she's lonely but she doesn't know really how to not be those things and that first night there nico and myla take her out to dinner at pancake billy's they kind of guilt her into going again because myla is like obnoxiously august friend now and uh -huh. <laughs> you are my friend yes you will deal you have now come into the fold <laughs> we have cookies or what they have pancakes welcome and myla lies to the wait staff and basically gets august a job at pancake pillies yay <laughs> so Objective accomplished. August has enrolled in the new school. She's got a new apartment. She's got a new friend group, sort of, kind of, maybe. She has the job. She's getting ready to start her life. And it's her first day of school. And she's got coffee. And she's getting on the queue, you know, the subway. And she spills her coffee all over herself. Uh-oh. And she's, like, sitting on the ground, having, like, a woe is me moment. As one would. And then she's like, you know... I am not going to slink home. I am going to continue my day, which I was proud of her. I probably would have slinked home. <laughs> slunk home? Slinked? Slunk? Sure. <laughs> no, actually, I think I probably would have gone and found a bathroom and like washed out the coffee and just wore a wet shirt. Anyways, she gets on the subway and she sees this beautiful, gorgeous stranger. Just she can't believe that this girl is talking to her kind of thing. And she gives August a scarf to help her with the stain and then kind of like disappears. Like August doesn't see her again after that. So after her first day of school, you know, she's got a red scarf. She's happy. She's all tired at work and she gets a Sue special at work, which like this, it sounded gross to me, but is apparently a delicious sandwich, a delicious breakfasty sandwich. The Sue special sandwich is important. Yes. Because she's, she starts seeing Jane again and again and again on the subway. And she starts thinking, well, maybe we have the same commute. And they have cute nicknames for each other. Uh, Jane is subway girl and August is coffee girl. And at one point she mentions the Sioux special to Jane. And Jane's like, oh, yeah, I know about those because I invented them. And she recognizes that August smells like pancakes because she works at Pancake Billy's and it brings back like some memories to her or whatever. So she kind of shares that she used to work at Pancake Billy's and she invented this. And then August says, oh, well, maybe you could come by. I'm working the morning shift. I'll sneak you breakfast if you want to pay you back for the scarf. And Jane is like, yeah, I'd really like that. But she doesn't show. So sad. Boo. So August is like, oh, my God, I need to know more about <laughs> this girl. I am obsessed. Inquiring August's need to know. I'm a woman know. obsessed. <laughs> Yeah, and she's tap already, 
You know, she hasn't admitted it to herself yet, but she starts tapping into her her investigative side. Her skill set. Her mom trained her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she knows that Jane is really into 70s punk music. Jane actually has a cassette player Walkman thing and like vintage headphones and has shared music with her. And so August is like, I want to impress her with my knowledge of 70s punk and talks to Myla, who of course knows about music. And Myla introduces August to Joy Division. The next time August sees Jane, she tries to bring it up. And Jane's like, I don't know who those people are. Are they new? I haven't heard of them. She seems like a little disturbed by it. Like, uh, are you messing with me? Don't mess with me. And then the train lurches and there's like an electrical issue. And August gets kind of bumped into Jane and Jane catches her. And then the emergency lights come on and the train is delayed. So they end up telling each other stories about the other passengers. August... Again, starts using her skills. She picks up on clues. Oh, well, that person's wearing this and they're carrying that. So they're probably this thing. And Jane has more fanciful stories. And then Jane says that August should guess her story. August does, but doesn't get it quite right. And so Jane dumps out the contents of her backpack as a hint. And there's like a weird eclectic mix of things in her backpack. She's got a bunch of cassette tapes, but they range from, like, the 70s to the 90s. (laughs) She's got, like, random stuff in there. It's kind of weird. And then Jane pulls out a cassette and puts it on her Walkman, and she unplugs her headphones from it so it plays loud, and then dances to it on the train. And then the whole train starts joining in, like, singing along. (laughs) Jane convinces August to dance with her. And they have a dance party on the stalled out subway. Yay! And it's really fun. And right before the end of the commute, after the train picks up again and everything, August asks Jane out for drinks and Jane says she can't. August is like, okay, well, obviously she's not into me. Because if she was, she would have come see me for breakfast or she would have come out for drinks or whatever. So she plans, instead of just doing her thing, she's changing her commute now. Well, I don't have to take that train. (laughs) I don't have to see her ever again. (laughs) Avoid. She discusses the mysterious subway girl with her roommates. And I think it's Myla or maybe Nico who says, you know, she didn't say no. She said she couldn't. And it doesn't mean she doesn't like you necessarily because she didn't really tell you. Hell no. You get the impression that August is starting to feel more comfortable with Nico and Mila, like they're her peeps now. Yay! And I think she may have met Wes at this point too, but Wes kind of hides <laughs> in his room for the first part of he's the story. He's just a tad antisocial. And slowly comes out. I think he's introverted too. I think he just doesn't want to bother people or burden people or something because he's got issues. Yeah, so she's avoiding Jane. She's drudging through life because, ah, oh, the subway girl didn't like me. And then one day she's at work and she sees a photo of Jane in the hallway looking basically like she looks on the subway. But the photo is dated 1976 and she steals it from work and then runs home. (laughs) And she's like, what is this? The detective skills come out. She's like, is Jane like some kind of immortal hottie? Is she a vampire? Is she a ghost? Like, what is she? So August asks Jerry, who's like one of the old timers at Billy's, about Jane and Jerry is like no I don't remember her and she's like damn it and then she goes and decides she's gonna visit Nico at work because Nico works part-time as a psychic and Nico's like well can I meet her at first August is like no I don't want you to meet her (laughs) and then Nico suggests a seance and he says well if she doesn't come visit them during the seance then it would rule out ghostiness a couple days later they get the whole crew together we got All the roommates, plus the guy across the hall, Isaiah, who is a drag queen. And his drag name is Annie Depressant, (laughs) (laughs) which I thought was really fun. But anyway, they're all at the seance and Jane doesn't come to the seance or doesn't visit them. They rule out ghosts. And so August is like, okay, fine. She grabs Nico and like brings him on the train. And introduces him to Jane. And it's really bizarre because whenever August gets on the train, Jane is on the train. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) Nico, like, 
shakes Jane's hand. He's able to read her that way. And he determines she's not really dead, but she's not really alive. He said that she felt, quote, really here when she touched August. So there's some weird connection thing between Jane and August. August and Nico get off the train and Nico goes home. And then August decides, no, I'm going to test a theory because there's no possible way Jane could be on the train if I get back on because she continued on down the line, right? She gets on the train and Jane is there. <laughs> August is like, okay, okay, okay. There, There's something bizarre going on. It's around this point that she's starting to believe more in magic. Like she believes more in Nico. She believes that there's something crazy magic going on with the train. She's willing to accept other explanations. Yeah, she's dropping the cynicism a bit. Just, just, just a bit, though. A bit. And August asked Jane what year she's born, because August was born in 1995. And if Jane is one year older than her, then she should have been born in 1994. And then Jane, again, seems like kind of upset. And she says that she knows there's something wrong with her, but August shouldn't fuck with her. She seems like almost angry and scared. And she says she doesn't remember the last time she wasn't on the train. And she doesn't remember anything about her past. And she doesn't really remember anything at all. <laughs> and when August tells her it's been 45 years, I think Jane kind of starts accepting it. And then they start testing, well, can she get off the train? And she tries jumping off the train. And every time she gets off the train, she disappears and then appears back on the train. <laughs> yeah, that would be a little mindfuck moment. Yeah. And Jane takes this kind of in stride. Like once she knows, she's really brave. Oh, it just half the battle. <laughs> she doesn't like freak the fuck out. She's like, okay. I guess I'm stuck on a train. But maybe it's because she doesn't remember things either. Maybe she's not a whole person yet or something. Because that is another part of it. As the story progresses, Jane gets more and more memories. And she starts to feel more and more real and more and more here. That's more present. Yeah, so maybe she's not freaking out as much because she's not as, quote, real yet yeah, or something. Maybe August realizes that sensory things help Jane remember taste smell music she remembers that uh, jane got memories about pancake billies after she mentioned that august smelt like pancakes for example august does this whole experiment where she brings coffee and bagel to jane every day until they get whatever her order is because <laughs> august says if you lived in new york city for any period of time you have a coffee bagel order <laughs> we just have to find it <laughs> August has two phones. One of them she refers to as her burner phone, and she gives Jane her burner phone. And whenever Jane remembers a snippet of something, she texts it to August, who then tries to find more about it and either brings something about it to Jane or, you know, help her trigger another memory. I thought it was kind of interesting that Jane is able to text August when August is on the train. Yeah. And we have little snippets throughout the story, like each chapter begins with some sort of like a newspaper clipping or a Craigslist ad or something sort of referencing Jane being on the train in some way. Other people see her and interact with her, but it kind of feels like now that she and August have met, she's more on that train versus jumping around from train to train, time to time. She's getting more anchored. Yeah, that's a good word for it, anchored. She's anchored now in the present, the present day. And August throws herself wholeheartedly into this detective work. She starts blowing off her job and school and taking the train all the time and trying to trigger these memories and figuring out all this stuff. At one point, Jane mentions that she had started to realize that there was something wrong with her or she was stuck on the train after she met August. And when August avoided her for that period of time, things started feeling blurry again. So that's interesting, too. August is now worried if I don't keep contacting Jane and seeing her, then is she going to disappear? Is she going to go away? Like, what is going to happen? Will she ghost? <laughs> yeah, and she, yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> she doesn't like it because she is super duper into Jane. Like super she's into her, smitten. but not letting herself admit yes. it to herself. She she's like, no, I can't be cynical detective and have a huge crush on Subway Girl. Those two things have to be mutually exclusive. 
but obviously they're not. You can't control your feelings necessarily. You can only control your actions. Myla finally gets introduced to Jane. That's another thing. It's like August will introduce one of her friends mm-hmm. to Jane, right? And then they'll be like, hi, look at Jane. And then they leave. And I, I just feel so bad for Jane. She's like stuck. On yeah, and it's like- I think that becomes more of a problem for Jane as the story goes on. Because as she gets more, quote unquote, anchored in the present, she's more aware of what a crap deal she has. Yeah, for sure. She starts feeling lonely and stuff. Whereas before, she didn't necessarily. Yeah, her level of awareness was, I don't know, lower or depleted or ethereal to where it didn't seem to matter to her as much. Oh, and the other interesting thing is like Myla had tried meeting Jane before, but she wasn't able to see her until after August introduced her. And that happened with all of the friends. So now if they've been introduced to Jane by August, Jane will be on the train when they show up. But otherwise, they can't find her. August is the point person. So anyway, after Myla and August get off the train, they notice that the queue is going to be shutting down for two months at the end of summer. And this really gives a sense of urgency to August because August's whole plan is to like figure out what is going on with Jane and help her, like help her either go back to her time or help her get off the train or something. And they're worried now, like, if the train gets shut down, what's going to happen? If August can't see her, what's going to happen? Myla has a theory that it's like a time slip sort of situation where Jane is flickering through time and that maybe some sort of event happened to trap her on the train. Now we get to the whole section that's all about PDA, (laughs) I guess. I don't know. The way the author described it. It was fine, but I also, there were a couple times where you could tell, like, other people were, like, kind of uncomfortable around them. But but then on the other hand, what else are they going to do? Exactly. It's not like they can get a room. Well, and not to mention, like, it contrasts in the story with the past, right? Past attitudes. Whereas, okay, so today on the subway, people are just uncomfortable, but in the past, violence would have ensued. Yeah, or mm-hmm. they could have gotten arrested, you know, two, two girls kissing just wasn't okay exactly yeah that's a good point i got the impression that currently people were more just uncomfortable with pda in general not necessarily that it was two girls kissing but yeah you're right in the past and there's a big through line about jane's past as jane recovers more and more of her memory she was very much involved in the gay rights movement and had a lot to do with that sort of thing you know, lived through that time period where if you were gay, you had to be kind of underground about it. And the start of the AIDS epidemic before they even knew what that was. Her original time is like this very big moment in the history of gay rights. All right. Anyway, PDA, (laughs) they decide to kiss for science. For science. Jane was a bit of a player, I think. She she had a lot of casual kisses with girls and a lot of brief flings with girls, almost like a shooting star type of relationship with girls. And they'll do different kisses depending on Jane will have like some memory of some particular girl and then they'll recreate that moment as much as they can. And then it'll bring back more memories. And so they continue <laughs> kissing for science. Like Jane remembers she used to live in New Orleans and you get the impression, and the author does a good job with this too, because we were only in August's point of view, but you kind of can start telling, like, Jane is purposefully trying to think of memories where she kissed a girl, <laughs> I think, so that she can kiss August. <laughs> but each time they kiss, August is always like, for research, <laughs> for science, because she's desperately clinging to the whole, I can't have a crush on her. No, this can't happen. And August is comfortably bisexual. She's totally fine with all that. It's not like a sexual awakening for her necessarily. It's more just like she's trying to keep the mystery of Subway Girl separate from yes. any feelings she's she She's compartmentalizing have. or trying to. We get a brief reality check with August, a reminder that, <laughs> hey, she has bills and she hasn't talked to her mom in a while and she's been blowing off school and work, and this just isn't going to be good if she doesn't step up. Adulting (laughs) needs to happen. Yeah, so we have three weeks where August has just kind of said fuck you to her responsibilities. Was it that she has mono at work or something? Like, that's how she gets out of work or something? Yeah. Yes. Kissing condition or disease (laughs) or whatever. 
Yeah, I thought that was funny. I mean, mono isn't funny, but yeah. (laughs) August finally goes to work so she can pay her rent. And when she's at work, she learns that Billy's is closing because gentrification is happening. The landlord is raising the rent and Billy doesn't have the money needed to buy the place. August also learns that she could potentially graduate in another semester. Even though she's been degree hopping and school hopping and blowing off stuff, she's still fine. Yay. (laughs) Magically. Yay. (laughs) And could potentially graduate. And so she kind of has like this existential late millennial dread, I would say. Yeah. She gets on the train and Jane talks August through it. Jane says, oh, well, here, let me show you what I do. And she starts bringing August through the cars. So where one car connects with another and August is like, this is a near death experience. I am not (laughs) enjoying this at all. But it does bring about the realization that Jane can be outside of the train. She just can't get off of the train. (laughs) August decides she can't keep kissing Jane. Instead, she thinks, well, another big trigger for Jane for memories is music. And Jane hasn't wanted to put Spotify or anything on her phone. August gets Jane an old school radio. I think at one point Jane has said that they're best friends. August is like, yeah, she doesn't think about me that way anyways. But the plan kind of backfires because <laughs> now Jane starts requesting songs on the radio and then sending August <laughs> texts to listen to the songs. <laughs> August can't really escape <laughs> from no it escape at all. All right, it's Easter time. They're having Easter brunch at night, which is a tradition in her little friend group. It's like this fun, crazy party. There's a ton of drag queens there. There's a lot about drag in this book, too, that was kind of fun and interesting. Like you mentioned before, Jane is now starting to feel lonely and recognizing August isn't there and stuff like that. So August calls her and has her on speakerphone at the party. Jane is going around with August talking to everybody and is like, I wish I could be at the party. And they're like, oh, well, we'll bring the party to you. There's this whole parade of like drunk, high, mostly gay people covered in glitter, partially in drag, boarding the subway in the middle of the night. You know, it's very dreamlike. And I know we read a book by this author before. And I said, like, a lot of the party scenes in that book were really dreamlike. And I think that's just like this writer's style. It's very hazy and dreamy. I agree. But it works because they're all high. They're all drunk. It makes sense to make it kind of sensory in that way. Jane is super happy about the party and she credits August with it, even though it wasn't August's idea to bring the party there. It's it really is August's doing that Jane is even there and able to engage. So I understand that part. August is drunk and she's feeling brave and she decides she's gonna kiss Jane just to kiss her. Nobody else in the room. <laughs> Jane pulls away and she remembers everything. Like she remembers her name. She remembers a whole bunch of stuff. Her original name was, I'm going to butcher it, Biu. She's the only sibling in her family who got a Chinese name. She's the oldest, so that's probably why she says. And she got the nickname of Drunk Jane in New Orleans. (laughs) And then she just kind of kept Jane as her name later. The party at some point has left, but August is still on the train. August decides to share her favorite movie with Jane, which is Say Anything. And they listen to the soundtrack together, and August tells Jane the story of the movie. It's around this time that August decides she needs to tell Jane how she feels. Maybe they can't be together forever. Maybe Jane will be sent home to the 70s. Maybe Jane will disappear. Maybe something. But she'd rather have something than nothing, if possible. Yeah, the unknown is scary. (laughs) It's really cute. August plans like this whole, um, it's like a secret date (laughs) because she doesn't ask Jane on a date. But she gets all dressed up. She buys a bunch of snacks. She gets on the train at 3.30 in the morning. Jane is there, of course, and it starts off really good. They're talking, there's music, there's snacks. It's flirty, but not flirty. And they're in this weird zone where, like, they can't tell. They can't pick up on the other signals. And Jane gets kind of mad and she says, I can't do this anymore. Is this a date? (laughs) And August is like, what? She's all, you have to tell me, is this a date? 
<laughs> and and apparently she'd like been putting the moves on August this whole time and August was totally oblivious. <laughs> Oh, poor August. The reader kind of picks up on it a little bit more, but August is completely like, no, obviously she's not into me. This is just for her memories or whatever. (laughs) And August even reminds her, well, remember I asked you out before and you didn't come. And then with all the other girls that you kissed and everything, you just went for it. And I thought if you liked me that way, you would have gone for it by now. And Jane's like, but none of them were you. And then she says... Please, just tell me if this is a date right now. August says, it was never research. And then there's kissing. And it's amazing. And then the train (laughs) conveniently breaks down on the bridge and gets completely dark so they can have sex on the train. Conveniently. Shane breaks a train. (laughs) (laughs) She does. We learn later that, that Jane was able to do it. But at that point in the story, we didn't know necessarily. I guess you could suspect. I suspected. They have sex. It's amazing. August reveals that she was a virgin, but Jane, she rolls with it. She doesn't care. Actually, what she says is, I do care, but it doesn't bother me, which I liked that, the distinction of it. After this, August is at home and she's like going through her purse or something and she finds a pack of batteries in her purse. And she's like, why do I have batteries in my purse? And then she remembers, oh, I bought these for the radio. Oh, I never put the batteries in the radio, but somehow the radio has been working this whole time. She goes and talks to Jane about it. And yeah, the radio has been working this whole time. It turns out her cassette player also (laughs) didn't have batteries. Also, the phone that August gave her never needs to be charged or anything. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? So now we have the theory that it was something electrical that happened that trapped her on the train. Jane is able to interact with the electricity a bit where she shorted out the train. She knows when the emergency lights will or won't turn on. Maybe she's drawn to or attracted to all the electrical impulses in August's brain or something. And that's what connects them. Maybe. We have more stolen moments of public sexy times and more detective work. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're kind of discreet about the sexy times, but kind of not. I feel judgy about it. But then on the other hand, I want to give them a pass (laughs) because she literally can't get off the train. What are they supposed to do? Yeah. August sets up an office in the back office at her work and starts making like a timeline (laughs) of Jane's life. Isn't it Billy's office? Because Billy's never there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and Jane's real or birth name, her, her Chinese name is familiar to August, but she doesn't really know why. Now it's July and Nico has a birthday and a crazy Christmas in July themed birthday party complete with drag show and it's just crazy and amazing and the whole time that August is there she's thinking Jane would have loved this. This is like evidence that all the stuff Jane worked for in the 70s yeah this is where we are now Jane would have loved this and she realizes she's in love with Jane Because of the drag show, they have this great idea that they could do a charity drag show to raise money to save Billy's. And August is starting to feel like this is home. Like this is her found family. This is her home. (laughs) She belongs in New York. August's mom finally gets a hold of her and tells her that her grandmother died and left August some money. Apparently, her grandparents paid her private school tuition This part of the book pissed me the fuck off. Yeah. So August went to a Catholic school, like a private Catholic school, because the public schools were underfunded. Her and her mom were really poor, and her mom always blamed their being poor on the school tuition. But then when August finds out now that her grandparents were paying the school tuition, she's like, well, why the fuck were we poor then? And it turns out they were actually poor because of all the money her mom spent on the investigation of her missing uncle. August's uncle, just to be clear. Her mom kept her from having any kind of relationship with her grandparents because they would have judged August like they judged her mom and possibly judged the brother. And then August snaps and yells at her mom like, I could have had a family. I didn't always have to be alone. I think she says something like, did you have me just so I could help with your investigation? She's really angry, and it's it's a very complicated thing because the grandparents were they kind were. of shitty. That doesn't excuse the mom's and shitty. also, like, my thoughts about it were by August's mother, I forget the character's name. Suzette. Making the choices that she did. Suzette. 
it also made sure that the grandparents couldn't have grown and changed. Yeah. If the mother, Suzette, had opened herself up or done anything, they may have, she may have found out things about her brother that she didn't know. Yeah. More evidence that could have helped her. She basically closed herself off. Her brother was quite a bit older than her. When her brother went missing, she kind of just cut herself off from her parents, August's grandparents, and cut August off from the grandparents. Yeah, I mean, we don't know what the grandparents' views about anything are because we never have any interaction with them in the story. What little we know isn't necessarily positive. But again, like I said, by Suzette making those choices, which... The grandparents did respect because they never went outside of those boundaries. They didn't go around Suzette to contact August. They did write August letters and stuff, though, and send her money every year until August turned 18, which her mother used. Yes. Which is just fucked. It's very complicated, and I can understand why August is so upset. Yeah, me too. (laughs) But it also makes August realize that she's kind of turning into her mom because she's obsessed with her own investigation at this point. (laughs) Her mom is is obsessed with finding August's uncle and August is obsessed with learning about Jane's past so that she can help Jane. The mirror is a harsh mistress. (laughs) Yeah. A while ago, her mom had sent her a file. Even though August has said, I don't want to be part of your investigation anymore. Her mom hasn't really respected that and sent her this file... Can you do some research on it? This is a person who may still be living in New York that may have known your uncle. And she gets that file down off the refrigerator and she brings it with her on the train. She's not really sure what she's going to do with it yet. Jane and August are on the train. They carve their names on the subway because of course they do. And then Jane (laughs) recognizes August's knife and it was actually her uncle's knife. And Jane knows that. Like, she knows that the knife belonged to Augie slash August, the uncle, who disappeared in 1973. Dun, dun, dun. And it's just this holy shit moment. Like, oh, no, the things have come together. (laughs) They are now intertwined. August opens the file that she brought, and there's an old photo of Jane in there as somebody who supposedly knew Augie. And Jane says, yeah, we were friends. We lived together, but he's dead. And we get some backstory of Augie. So Augie was gay and he worked at a gay bar that got set on fire and a bunch of people in the bar died. And it was a night that he was supposed to work there. And there wasn't an investigation by the city, really, because it was a gay bar and it was the 70s. So no one cared God, that's fucked up. Yeah. That's the reason Jane left New Orleans, because of all the stuff with the fire. She couldn't deal with it. August is like, well, crap, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't really tell my mom this, but I kind of have to tell my mom this. Meanwhile, Jane is kind of having like a crisis or existential issue at this point where she's like, it feels like I died, except now I have to feel it. Yeah. Jane has this whole backstory of she grew up oldest child of Chinese immigrants in San Francisco. She left home because she was gay and became part of the gay movement, moved state to state. I don't think she knew she was gay when she left. She knew she was different and wouldn't fit in. I think she does say it that way, but I kind of felt like that's what she meant. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, anyway, I think she's grieving kind of like the past. And she tells August that she can't want to stay in the present because of what she would be missing. And she suggests that August leave and stop trying to help her. So August leaves. She's really conflicted about it. She doesn't like it. She hasn't given up on helping Jane. She just, I don't, I don't know. She has a lot of conflicting feelings. Rock hard place her. Yeah. Meanwhile, they've sold over 800 tickets for the charity drag show to save Pancake Billies. And by they, I mean like the whole friend group and everything. And the Billies employees that are part of the friend group. And they're talking about it. And then the water line breaks. And Jerry goes to shut it off in the back office. And discovers August's investigation. Don't look. (laughs) 
it turns out he remembers Jane after all. And August is like, well, you said you didn't remember her when I asked you about it before. And he's all, well, I didn't know someone was like obsessively creating an altar to her in the back room. <laughs> and she presses him. She's like, she's been missing since 1977. Why didn't you tell me about how you knew her? So Jerry does tell her. He and Jane were friends, and in July of 1977, Jane had heard from an old friend who had convinced her to leave New York, and it was her last night in town, and they were drunk and whatnot, and they were getting on the train, and Jerry fell onto the tracks, and Jane saved him. And then the citywide blackout happened, because this is like a historical event. And when Jerry woke up, Jane was gone, and he really had no way to find her, because blackout, and... He never heard from her again. So he just kind of assumed that she left and ghosted him. Because no internet then in the 70s. She had been planning to move back to California, back to San Francisco. August puts all this stuff together because early on in the book, Jane had given her an old postcard that she had in her backpack that had a phone number with an area code from like Oakland, San Francisco area. August is checking the date on the postcard and she realizes this is the hometown Jane had told her uncle Augie about. And this postcard must have been from Augie. Augie didn't die in the bar. He left for California. Because again, San Francisco, gay pride movement hub, maybe. I don't know. What would you call it? Probably hub. Is, was a big deal. Is and was. Yes. So we have some more things like Jane had thought when she talked to August earlier that he had died in the fire. So apparently she didn't remember this thing with the postcard or she was lying about it. I think she didn't remember it because her memory is weird. And she doesn't seem like a liar. No. August makes plans with her friends. They're going to cause a power surge to the line that Jane is on. This is going to create a similar event to the blackout, which is what they suppose... Jane was probably like touching the third rail when the blackout happened and somehow got zapped into the electricity or something. This is all part of Mila's theory, I think. Mila has a lot of theories and they all turn out to be fairly accurate. And it's very lucky that Mila also has a degree in electrical engineering because she's going to enable them to cause this power surge. They have this sense of impending doom because when the subway shuts down for maintenance, the power will be turned off. And if Jane is connected to the electricity, then she might disappear forever. And so August is like, I have to save Jane, but I have to avoid Jane because she told me to. Until she gets a text from Jane to turn on the radio. And when she does, there's a song dedicated to August. And Jane says in the dedication that she's sorry. And then Jane sends her a text to come back. Aww. When August gets on the train, they meet between the cars and exchange apologies. And then Jane says she wants to stay and be with August. She's kind of decided, you know, if if I had a choice, that's what I would pick. So I'm okay with it either way. And she has a list of present day stuff she wants to learn about from like all the conversations she and August have had before. <laughs> and before this, they've very carefully not really talked about present day that much. There's a little bit, but the world upstairs outside of the subway isn't really a thing that they discuss until this point. I mean, it makes sense, because if you don't know if you have a future, why talk about it? August tells Jane her theory about how she thinks Jane got stuck on the train, and then Jane remembers tripping and accidentally dumping her backpack on the third rail. And then August shows Jane the postcard and says she thinks it was from Augie, her uncle. And Jane then remembers she had thought he was dead until she received the postcard and learned that he left because of the fire. Because he couldn't handle being there anymore after, you know, all his friends and co-workers and everything died in this fire. Jane says that she had decided to go home and try to reunite with her family. And then we also learned that Augie had never stopped writing to August's mom, but for some reason, August's mom stopped getting the letters. So after the fire happened, these letters started disappearing. And of course, it was August's shitty grandparents. Yes. They hid letters from August's mom, and now August's mom hides letters from August. It's great. Like mother, like, or like parent, like child, mother. I don't know. That that fell apart in my head. I don't know. I, I get it, though. 
Okay, so now Jane is totally in on the power surge plan. She's willing to try. She wants to solve the, quote, problem, if possible. They plan, and by they, I mean like everybody, like the whole friend group, including Jane and everybody, plan to move the charity drag show to a subway station to both allow more people to come and also to supply a distraction so that Myla can then cause a power surge. And they do this test where Jane learns she can actually walk on the third rail. So if she jumps off the train and she lands on the third rail, she's fine until she gets to a certain point and then she starts feeling weird and can't continue on. So now it's the day before the big day, the charity drag show. Jane and August have like a goodbye moment. They kind of say they love each other, but they don't really. Jane gives August her jacket. It's very sweet. And it's just like, in case I don't end up staying all right, now it, it is the big day. They've sold 2,000 tickets to this charity drag show. Wow. This drag show is crazy. It's, again, like another dreamlike crazy party. Myla has managed to find out that her ex works for the power company or something. She's able to convince him to come to the show. He's not really over her, I guess. <laughs> it's weird. It's kind of funny and sad. And they steal his badge so that Myla can get into the room where she can cause the power surge. It's almost like a, a heist situation yes. almost. Each character has a job that they have to do. <laughs> August's job is to be point person on the train with Jane. Jane's standing on the third rail. They finally share I love yous. And then the power surge happens. But the first part of the power surge doesn't work because there's two parts. There's the part where they turn it off and it causes a surge and then they turn it back on and it causes a surge. So the first part doesn't work. August jumps off the train and kisses Jane. And then the second part happens and Jane disappears. And August gets kind of like a flash of Jane's time as this happens. That makes her think that Jane went back to her time. So it's shitty. Potentially happy because, yay, Jane went back to her own time and can reunite with her family and everything. But shitty because they decided they didn't want that. Yeah, bittersweet. <laughs> oh, Jane had made an advanced radio request dedicated to August. It was really sweet. All right. So now August is living in the present still and she hates her life because no Jane. No Jane. <laughs> her mom comes to visit and she finally tells her mom about Augie. She had done a little bit more looking into the whole thing and learned that Augie had moved to California and he was living a happy life, but then he died in a car accident. But that means her mom can finally move on. That is like a weird thing too. Like the mom is like, no, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I guess I can have a hobby now. <laughs> it was bizarre. That mother. Three months have passed now. The drag show still didn't earn enough money to pay for saving Pancake Billies, but they're almost there. After they pass this three-month mark of Jane being gone, August gets her inheritance from her grandparents and is like just the right amount to make up the rest of what they need to save Billies. And so she anonymously donates it because she doesn't want the money because she realizes her grandparents were crappy. She doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah, that's fair. And she'd rather save Billies. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. She's at Billy's. Everyone is celebrating because Billy, who has been absent throughout this whole book for the most part, <laughs> shows up and is like, we got it. We got all the money. And so everyone's celebrating and they're having a party. And then Jane shows up. It's like, holy shit. Oh, my God. We have a reunion. August takes Jane home. We learn that while three months have passed for August, it had only been like a second for Jane. She woke up and realized, oh, I'm in the future and went to Billy's because she figured, well, August said she worked there, so she'll show up there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have a chapter or so where we have amazing reunion sex. And then we have all the stuff that happens for Jane to fit into the present. We have August graduating and deciding that she wants to start her own business where she finds missing people. And then the story ends where she finds out about Jane's family and realizes Jane's parents are still alive, her siblings are still alive, and they have children now. And one of Jane's nephews is married to another man, so you get the impression that they're accepting of the gays now. And they make the decision to go see them. And that's where the story ends. Like, they leave to go see Jane's family. 
Yay, family reunion. And it ends kind of on a hopeful note. I like that her parents were still alive so she could reconnect with them, potentially. Yeah, and we don't really know either what story Jane is going to tell them because she kind of isn't sure. Do I tell them the truth or do I tell them like I'm my own daughter or something? (laughs) Yeah. It's a hopeful ending with room to go. And didn't they plan to like stop by where her uncle had lived? I think so. His husband remarried, I think. Oh, yeah, because they had all of Jane's records. Although I don't know if they were... Married because I don't know if they were, quote unquote, allowed to marry. That sounds like such a bullshit thing to say, but you know what I mean. I know. They were together. His partner has moved on, but kept all of the records that Jane had shipped ahead. Because Jane planned to go back. She shipped her records ahead to Augie so he could hold on to them until she got there. Yes. Which is such a 70s thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was just a nice like family road trip theme thing. Yeah, it was good. Lots of good feels. How was the audiobook? The audiobook was narrated by Natalie Nottis. I think she did a really good and consistent job with the characters and expressing their personalities and stuff. So I liked it. Are you happy for them, Em? I am happy for them. I'm not happy for Billy. (laughs) Why? I don't feel like Billy should have gotten the money. I feel like it should have went to the employees that were actively trying to save the business. So that the employees (laughs) got the business and they could like either keep the name or rename it the Sue Special or whatever. Oh, that would have been cute. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was actually legitimately going, why does this dude get it? Like he's absent the whole time. He's not working to try to save it. There was the waitress. I can't remember her name. I'm terrible. Lucy. Lucy, who like that was her home. Like when she came to New York. Yeah. And she loved it. I feel like if anybody should have gotten it, it should have been her or a number of the employees with August being a silent partner or whatever, since she donated so much money at the end. I was grumpy towards Billy, but everybody else, yay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not better. Uh, That's funny. (laughs) That's the hill I'm dying on. Sorry. (laughs) I'm happy for Jane and August. I like them together. They were cute. They were cute. They had the good chemistry. They did. Are you ready to rate them? Uh, Sure. Let's rate August first. I put August is awesome. I mean, yeah, she had her awkward qualities, but they just made her more believable to me, more like a person. Sometimes she was a little bit frustrating, but, you know, it just makes them more like a person if you get frustrated with them. I think that's usually a testament to their creation, their... Yeah. No, I thought she was awesome. What about you? August, I rated awesome. She was a really good three-dimensional character. She had a lot going on. She had her mom issues that she was working through. She had her existential life issues. I think a lot of millennials probably relate. Oh, life sucks and I can get a degree, but it won't matter because I'll still have to work at the pancake shop. Yeah. Like it kind of (laughs) was a little too real in a way. (laughs) Here's debt and a side of pancakes. Enjoy your life. Yeah, she's got like a shit ton of college debt that she just keeps racking up because she can't decide what major she wants. And (laughs) ultimately, it doesn't matter what major she wants because she's not using it. She's using her skills that her mom brainwashed her into and... (laughs) Which I did her like pancake that, shop experience. <laughs> I did like that she embraced her own past where she's like, no, no, yeah. I will use these skills to help people. Yay. Yeah, I like that aspect of it too. And she comes to terms with it. So no, she was awesome. How do you rate Jane? I also labeled her as awesome. I think it was very tricky in the beginning with Jane because she was so I guess I'm a ghost now and that's cool. But then you saw her <laughs> anger at the end, which helped to balance that out. I sort of wish that there was a little more frustration along the way because she was freaking trapped and that sucks. Yeah. I try not to think about it, but the mind fuckedness of what that reality must have been like. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, wow. But overall, I would say awesome character. I rated Jane awesome as well. I really Woo-woo. enjoyed her. I liked how the author slowly revealed her to us throughout the book. I think that we did get some glimpses of like fear or anger or unease or whatever from Jane throughout the story. But I think also it's just part of her personality. She's very yeah yeah optimistic and kind of happy-go-lucky. I'm going to find my joy where I am. 
Which is a nice attitude to have. She's idealistic in that way. And I really appreciated that about her. Although I don't relate to it, sadly. And... (laughs) Takes all kinds. And it was a good foil for the cynicism of August, too. Yes. They complemented each other that way. One of the things I especially liked about Jane in this book is the slow reveal of like who she is and what she remembers and how her personality becomes more and more real as she becomes more and more real. I thought the author did a really good job with that. I did too. How do you feel about the antagonists and or villains in this story? Um, so there's, of course, the mom, basically August's family, apart from her uncle. <laughs> yeah. So her grandparents, her mother... I have confused and mixed feelings about her mother. There's some of it that just makes me think, I guess I'm trying to understand maybe a mindset that I don't understand. Maybe that's the problem. It's just not necessarily how the character was rendered. I'm just hitting a wall. Maybe it's a me thing. (laughs) She's somewhat effective as an antagonist, but somewhat not. I don't understand how she seems to not give a shit about her kid. Yeah, it's bizarre. That's where I'm struggling, and that's where it's like, I don't know if it's a, I needed more on the page, or if it's just a me problem. (laughs) My brain can't (laughs) go there or something. So, yeah, I mean, there's the greedy landlords, too. Society. For the most part, yeah, I mean, I think they were effective. The mom I have issues with, and I'm I'm not sure why. (laughs) Maybe, maybe I need to go Uh. see a therapist. (laughs) Therapy for everyone. <laughs> exactly. What about you and the villains? I also put the mom and the grandparents as villains. I put the grandparents as sort of effective because they weren't really on the page. You get like this impression that they didn't approve, quote unquote, of Augie for whatever reason. And that's partly why he left. And that they were really judgmental of Suzette as well. And that's why Suzette... Cut them off. Yeah, cut them off. Kept them from August. But they they weren't really present and you don't really get a very good answer about it. And now they're dead. So, oh well. August's mom, I felt, was effective Hmm. as an antagonist. Because she is really the driving force behind August's whole weird existential journey throughout the story. She doesn't want to use these skills that her mom kind of installed her with. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And she doesn't want to participate in her mother's obsession anymore and her mother doesn't really respect that or understand it or whatever it was very almost like cult-like i feel like the mother just had like this these are where my priorities are and i'm going to instill you with those and you better accept them and if you're raised up in it then you don't know any different you're indoctrinated in an early age Yeah, and it even affects, like, August's ability to make friends. The only reason she does find her friend group is because they they force themselves on her. They're like, yes, we're your friends now. And also she leaves. Because if she would have stayed there, there's no way she would have been able to keep friends because her mother, I doubt, would have let her. Yeah, I don't think so. Even at the end, when the mom calls to say, yeah, your grandma died and left you money. And August, like, has questions and her mom is like, I don't want you to hate me. Before she tells her the truth. So even then she like installs like a little guilt trip there. Like here's the seed of guilt. Don't hate me while I tell you these horrible things I did or didn't do or whatever. It was really messed up. And even though August is kind of navigating her relationship with her mother better by the end of the book and has better boundaries and has given her mother closure and all that, it still feels like almost... I don't know. Her mom was never really apparent to her. No, she wasn't. I also put Jerry on the list. I feel he was a pretty minor antagonist, but I thought he was worth mentioning because he hid what he knew about Jane until he discovered the back room, the scary back room. (laughs) Yes. I put like the whole gentrification of the city as an antagonist, which is kind of effective because it's the whole driving factor behind the Billy storyline. And gentrification is crappy for multiple reasons. Yep, yep. And then, of course, you know, the whole society as a whole and homophobia and whatnot. And I feel like the author did a really good job lacing that sort of theme through the story and showing like a lot of historical context, showing how we're at 
a place where we're getting better. We're not necessarily better, but we're getting better. And we're a large amount of better than we were in the 70s. Yes. I think the author portrays that really well. And I think it was an effective tool in the story. It affected like Jane's whole life. I really liked how you pointed out how, you know, the PDA on the subway would have been totally different if it had happened in the 70s. And to be fair, certain parts of, well, other countries too, but our country, the reactions would be different, right? Depending on where you live. Yeah, this is a very US centric. US more, you know, I mean, it's in New York City. Yeah, no, I I think that's definitely worth mentioning. Different than middle America. (laughs) Yeah. Or other places. Right. (laughs) I mean, even in the US, you're right, depending what state you live in, or even what city you live in, sometimes it's less better than it is in other places. But yeah, absolutely other countries too. Some of them are better than where we're at in the US and some of them are not even at the level we're at. It's a tapestry. But yeah, the story is very USA oriented. And so we get that perspective. And and I think the author dealt with that subject matter really well. And I think it was an effective antagonistic tool or something. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yay words. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yes. I don't know if I make sense. Who knows? I think you make sense. <laughs> How did you rate the book? I gave the book a 4.5. Oh, good. Yeah, I really liked it. What about you? I gave it a 4. I think I was kind of put off by the end a bit. I appreciated the whole hopefulness and everything, but I think I wanted a little bit more closure. And I kind yeah. of feel like the author realized, oh, wait, I probably should explain how Jane managed to live in the present day. And that was very, very fast. Hmm. It wasn't necessarily bad but i maybe would have liked a little bit more do you think it would have been different if there was like an epilogue of five years in the future kind of thing it probably would have affected my point of view a little differently because then it gives the reader permission to fill in all the blanks yourself Hmm. Mm -hmm. whereas the author i think took the approach of no i have to fill in all these blanks before i finish the book okay and now we're done But it was, I mean, it was a four. I really enjoyed it. The characters were great. The friends were all great. Yes. All the different subject matter was great. Yeah, it was good. And I enjoy the whole like sci-fi magic-y element that was present in the story too. Yeah, I like that too. I like how it was woven in. Well, did you feel romanced? I did. It's weird. Like I felt romanced by the story, the whole sci-fi and solving the problem and the storytelling in itself, the characters so much. I don't know. Like I was happy they were together and they had good chemistry and everything, but eh, the the PDA really got to me. I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, I would say romanced by the story, not as much by the characters this time. What about you? Were you romanced? I was. I don't know. I feel like you're feeling romanced more often lately. Maybe it's the time of year. (laughs) I don't know. What else have you been reading? So I recently finished Notorious RBG by Erin Carmen and Shauna Kisnick. I apologize in advance for pronouncing those names (laughs) poorly. I can't talk. It's too early. The novel is about the life and times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and sort of the rise of the Notorious RBG movement. And so it was really, it was really interesting to to get that in a condensed version. Yeah, not gonna lie, sometimes some of it was very uh, canary in a coal mine. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting because I remember hearing things like this as a kid. And we weren't kids that all fucking long ago. But I can remember sentiments like this in the area that I grew up. So Ruth and her husband Marty had a daughter named Jane at her school one of the mothers picking up her daughter, who was, I think, a friend of Jane's, said, be nice to Jane. Her mommy works. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that was the sentiment is working alone was what? It's weird to think of that now, but it wasn't all that long ago. It really wasn't. It depends on geographically where you were, but really it wasn't. No. Of course, does talk a lot about gender equality and sexism and stuff because Ruth faced those things. And she definitely was pro-gender equality, not just for women, but for men too, and how harmful it is. She's an icon. Definitely. And 
if you're interested, there is a Young Readers edition. Oh, that's cool. For those who might want one. Anyway, what about you? What have you been reading? (laughs) Something completely different. (laughs) I recently finished Mandy and the Tentacle Monster by Bebe Harper. I don't know if that's how you really pronounce her first name, but I'm going with it. It is the first in a series entitled Earth Umans. <laughs> it, it's a sci-fi romance, obviously. But the tentacle monster is part of an alien race that kind of was historically seen as evil or bad guys or whatever because of the way they used to procreate. And since then, they kind of scientified how they procreate and don't... Not so much with the touchy-feely? Yeah, they don't kidnap and enslave other races and install their eggs in their bodies and the eggs destroy the bodies and it's gross and nasty. So now they don't do that. They use science. Yay, science. But they're still not really trusted in the intergalactic circle Humans are relatively new. They don't really even know about them. The story opens with the tentacle guy doing like some sort of deal with one of his alien contacts who sells exotic pets. Hmm. He got this shipment of new exotic pets, which are humans, but their humans are freaking the fuck out because, you know, they've been abducted by aliens. Because they're getting treated like animals. (laughs) (laughs) And so the tentacle monster helps him put all the humans into this room that they're trying to contain them into and everything. And they're fighting him and biting him. And he he thinks they're just so adorable because they're like smaller than him and don't hurt him whatsoever. And he's just like, oh, how cute. It's nipping me. (laughs) One of them ends up needing medical assistance and the shop owner isn't able to provide it. And so the tentacle monster is like, well, I'll take care of this one. I'll bring it back later. He kind of adopts a pet and he gets really attached to her. And she's really, once she learns he's not dangerous and she learns that he doesn't realize that she's sentient, Mm-hmm. she's just like fine i'm just gonna roll with it <laughs> but there's a point where he realizes oh shit like <laughs> they're actually people <laughs> and he's like oh my god and i've been treating her like a puppy <laughs> awkward now there's the awkwardness the extra awkwardness and then they fall in love and whatnot but it's very cute and fluffy i like the alien cultures in this book because once they realize that humans are people they like start oh well they need rights then and they need this and that and the other and so it's very low on the slave trade sex object thing that often happens in sci-fi romance yay that's it for this time check out our website romancemepodcast.com for show notes other episodes and our upcoming reads and don't forget you can subscribe on Apple, Google, Amazon, or Spotify. Or come find us on Twitter at RomanceMeCast. Speaking of Twitter, were you romanced by August and Jane's story? Let us know what you think. And of course, join us next time when we discuss Killing Sarai by J.A. Redmierski. Bye. Bye. I can hear her. Oh, my knocking. Let me in. Why have you forsaken me, mother? <laughs> so forlorn. It's your turn for now. Yes, give, give. <laughs>